0: Hey,
1: So we're going to have a conversation about favorite things to do is, like I was saying to you earlier, people say I told you so. Now I don't really mean that. But I mean, you've been so right about this topic and I've been so honestly thick-headed about it that I give you huge credit for forcing me to do a, a major here. And and also, just diggle that I was being weirdly resistant to. So, I, kudos to you, and then I'll say what it is.
0: <laughs> so, oh, thank you very much. Yeah. You yeah know, well. uh, ultimately, I did it just to stop injuring myself. Yeah. Uh.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's good. I, if I can help with that, it, good for me. But so, we're going to talk heart rate stuff, but we're going to talk specifically about a few parameters that are absurdly interesting and important. Oh, but also overlooked, and as you said in a recent blog post that we'll link to, misunderstood at least in one of these. But I love them in some sense or misunderstood. <laughs> So one of these parameters, these cardiovascular parameters that maybe is the one people understand the best or at least think they do, and we're going to go through a few of them and talk about what, why they're important, how they help you with training and what have you, but maybe start with resting heart rate because that's something I think... To a degree, most people think that they know what that is. They have a sense of how they how they might measure it. Um, so, why don't we start there if you're okay with that? And then let's just talk about why is it important?
0: Yeah. So I love I love cool, simple, objective data to help people along with their journeys, right? Yeah. You and I come at this for different reasons, right? You love the mathematics involved. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> for the health or the just the trials and tribulations. But I've come across using resting heart rate as just one other objective means of showing my patients that they're getting healthier. So you wake up first thing in the morning, you check your heart rate. Or if you wear one of those watches or wear one of those rings, it'll tell you what your resting heart rate was. And it's a tremendous for your overall health, stress, and general well-being in those circumstances.
1: Right. And with a bunch of provisos that are perfectly understandable, like it's idiosyncratic to you. It's not. Uh, I mean, Lance Armstrong has a resting heart rate of X. I want one of those. No, it doesn't work that way, <laughs> right? It's right. it's about what what yours has been and how it's changing as a measure of body's stress and fitness and how, how forming as as at least in a, from a cardiovascular sense as a system. But, hey, I, I want to compare my resting heart rate to everyone on my block. That's just being stupid.
0: No, I you and I do this all the time with each other and compare others. But, and I'd love these norms are right. Whether it's the HRV app or whoop, yeah. right. I mean, the bias is tremendous. There aren't normals, but not if, if you're not a runner and you're not an endurance athlete and your heart rate is under 40 and over eight, eight 80, you need to notice something. You, you need to know that something is, is amiss, and you should, look look into this further. But for the rest of us, and those heart disease, et cetera, keep monitoring that rate and seeing the impacts of your daily activities can be very motivating. actually motivating and I'm, and
1: the, the the key before getting maybe a little bit deeper into that the key is I was just looking at the data I think Mayo has some data that the 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 adult the average adult non-athlete resting heart rate has a huge range like 60 to 90 60 to 100 or something like that which is really no point in comparing yourself to anyone else. That, that endurance athlete might be 45, might be might be lower. I ran into someone the other day who, for all things, was 38. <laughs> it's yeah. like the old Monty Python skit. It's like mostly dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like now and then you pop back to life, but you're mostly dead. So, so these things, but the key is to keep an eye on it. And as you said at the beginning, do it at the same time. Don't be thinking like, I'm going to check my resting heart rate late afternoon every today and then first thing tomorrow morning. This is meaningless. I mean, it may be good fun, but it doesn't really tell you anything in terms of the trend with respect to how, how fit you are and how you're handling stress in your life and whatever else. So the, the, do it at the same time. Even do it in the same position. You don't want to be testing your resting heart rate while you're, you know, jumping around the house. Sit quietly and, and maybe first thing in the morning and, and check it. Or as you said, many devices just give it to you by default if you wear them overnight or whatever else, right? Right.
0: right, and you can do it before you sit up, yeah. and you can do it af- right after you stand up because yeah. they'll be very different numbers. Yeah, and, and if you want, chart them, mark them, and yeah. for people who do run, not the ultras, and the, but folks like you and me, that's a great little barometer, and also in terms of what your internal stress is and how you responded to your run. Yesterday and the day before, or stress, home-related stress, etc. It's just another point as to what am I going to do today?
1: Yeah, it's like one of the things on your dashboard, right? I mean, it's not the thing, it's not the speedometer, it's not the gap. It's just another really useful, say, of four or five, maybe less indicators you can look at. And I mean, I'm looking at mine right now. I'm looking at my seven-day resting heart rate, and I can I can see the patterns, and they and they they have meaning. If I go up. Five beats in terms of my resting heart rate over a period. There's a reason, right? It could be sleeplessness. It could be that my my workout load is too big. It could be stress. But there's a reason. This, these things don't just change at like ten percent in a short time for no reason. And that's super important to know.
0: No doubt about it. You know, if my if my resting heart rate is above a certain level, I'm not going long. I'm not going hard. Yeah. Yes, I'll use other data and some of how i feel but you're right if you're jumping three four five six beats something is going on and it's worth it to think about what it was that brought you there and what you're going to do about it
1: yeah so resting heart rate is something that i've always paid some attention to but i pay a lot more attention to now in part <laughs> that you're urging just because much noisier signal than it is, and only slowly came to the realization that it's actually a more stable signal, and so the trends are worth are worth watching. These five and four or five six beat changes over to, over the case of a few weeks even is are really important to understand what's going on. Is it because of something you're doing, and maybe you should pull back or whatever else? So, so it's good. My biggest criticism of resting heart rate is that it's just not mathy enough. <laughs> Where's the fun? So fun addressing heart rate. I want something with more math. I'm kidding, but no. I it's, we're gonna get into some mathy ones here in a second. Another one that you pushed on me, and I I, I now pay. Well, okay, it's a more complicated story, but I pay more <laughs> attention to. But I have a fraught relationship with like an like a like a like an old girlfriend or something. Is recovery heart rate? Why? Don't, I'll let you explain what it is, and then we can talk about why it matters.
0: Yeah, you. You sprung that on me <laughs> one day. You just, you had to know it at yeah, that I moment. Know. Tell me now. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell you until the next day when I did it. I know, so uh, the recovery right. is, it's expressed in for one minute or two minutes. And if you're exercising and you come to a dead stop from where your heart rate is at that moment to where you are in two minutes, that's your, the amount that you were. Yeah. And you want that to be, More than to 13 beats interval, and hopefully more than 20 to 22 beats in the two minute interval.
1: Yeah, and it's obviously it's fitness related, it's age related. There's all kinds of factors here again, and the the major giant footnote here is obviously assuming cardiovascular health in every other sense. But you want to, like you say you want to see a slope. I want to see a, a, a significant slope of decline from the moment I stopped until whatever it is. Usually two minutes. I, I, it's built into a lot of devices. Like for example, I have a Garmin, and on my Garmin, a uh, wrist based, it'll it automatically does it. You tell it to screw off and not do it. It automatically does it <laughs> at the end of a of a workout, like a run. It'll give right. me my my two minute recovery heart rate pretty much all, uh, every time. I think Apple Watches do it by default. I'm not positive. I don't mm. know about other devices. But the point being, it's there, it's available, and there's a defensible rationale. This is not voodoo. There's a very defensible rationale. As the more cardiac you have, the the easier it is for your body to recover from an effort, and that recovery from an effort shows up in a a mean reverting phenomenon and reverting to to your more regular heart rate. So I fall back towards some – it won't be all the way to normalcy. Two minutes generally isn't enough unless you were, I don't know, like golfing or something.
0: Super fit.
1: Yeah, if you're truly an elite athlete. But for the rest of us, you're just looking to see – did I get that a twenty-five, you know, beats per minute decline or whatever, fifteen to twenty minutes over the course of a couple of minutes, usually two minutes, and and that's a fantastic indicator of how how quickly you're recovering from an effort in the, in the short run. And and if you don't see that, understand why it could be because you're fatigued, but there are a lot there are lots of reasons. But you do if you don't see a decline, if your heart is unresponsive to having ceased exercise, that's a really important data point.
0: There's no doubt, but you're right. There's a lot of variability here. Yeah. So us in our zone two efforts, you know, if we stop and it's 135, yeah, I'm generally not going lower than 90. I'll level off there beyond the two minutes. Yeah. But if we're up at 155, 160, then we might go down a good 50 beats. But my max is about 176 or so. So if I'm running a trail and I hit that my heart's really unhappy and if i stop then it probably is going to go below 150
1: yeah yeah um,
0: cuz it's, it's
1: i always tell i always tell people this but it's one of the problems with the heart design is that unlike a calf it doesn't really tell you the moment it's getting hitting some lactate moment in terms right. of pain so it's right. like if I, I was saying to, my, to, to a friend of mine I run with the other day, because his heart hit like 180 or something on this climb or 190. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, if your heart was in your calf, you would be in screaming agony right now and falling <laughs> over by the side of the trail. The only reason you're getting away with this is because it's not. And that's not a good
0: thing. Uh, so it's funny because when you and I first started to talk about all this, that was a badge of honor.
1: Yes, absolutely. And this is, again, kudos to you. I completely flipped in terms of how I thought about this. I had an irrational... (laughs) <laughs> Formula 1 driver view of this which is like rev the engine baby let's go and i would and i and i must mean faster and this is we, we'll have a zone 2 conversation about this at some point this more in depth but that's the key insight is realizing that you're not actually doing what you think you're doing as a matter of fact what you're doing is highly destructive and in the limit probably dangerous
0: yeah and we'll talk about uh, poor aerobic health one day yeah. And how all these zone four and five workouts uh, factor into that. Yep. But, yep. No, yeah. But yeah,
1: no, it's a, it's a huge problem. And I, and this is universal. It's a huge problem among people who've got, who've, Uh, bought into the mythology that harder is, you know, faster is faster, harder is harder and so on. But just to tell a quick, (laughs) I was just saying to you before we started this, I was, I was a convert to the recovery heart rate cause. And then I fell off the wagon. I was like, and the reason why ties into what we were just talking about is like, I really liked that I could be, you know, just pounding hard and 160, 170 heart rate. And I'd stop and I'd get back a recovery heart rate of like 50. I was like, Wow, I rock. This is fantastic. And then, in part at your urging and reading a bunch of things, I've changed steadily over to uh you know long, slow zone two type things with my heart rate. Going to one thirty-five feels like a big deal now. <laughs> so but the the problem is from a recovery heart rate standpoint, it's profoundly unsatisfying to have your heart rate go from one thirty-five to a hundred, like thirty. I'm not really that interested anymore. I I need I just see like a 50 or a 60. And this is back again. This is the same instinct that gets me in trouble and gets many people in trouble as you become data bound and competitive with all the wrong numbers. It's just about seeing a material recovery, not about can I fall from 130 to 60 or some ridiculousness in three minutes. You just want to see that your heart's recovering from the effort. Right. Right. So
0: anyway,
1: (laughs) you're competing against
0: your own heart.
1: I, I, yes. Well, I think I was, I think I was, I tweeted about this the other day. I gave four examples of why I am such a terrible zone two runner was the gist of it. (laughs) I give examples of all the things I recently had competed with was women doing yoga in a park. I saw them. (laughs) I sped up. There was a a guy uh, uh, just up the street. I sped up. A car <laughs> went by going the other way. I caught me. I sped up. And the last one was the worst. There was a strong wind along this trail and I saw a leaf going. I sped up. <laughs> I'm like, what the <laughs> hell am I competing with all these stupid things for? So anyways, recognizing these instincts of yourself is at least halfway to a cure. So I'm now, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm now cured on recovery heart rate and I, and, I, and I pay attention to it religiously and track it. <laughs> This is one where you've really been a huge influence on me in terms of getting me seriously about it. And it's become pretty much ubiquitous now, which is heart rate variability. It's on, I think, all the new Apple watches. Am I right in saying that? I think so.
0: I think so. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I, I have a, a Garmin. It's on that. You can do it now with uh, some apps, right? Just hold your finger up against the camera with, uh, what's the one of the ones you use, HRV for training? HRV
0: for training. Yes. Yep.
1: Yep. Yep. So <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let you explain maybe a little bit about what it is, and then we can talk about why it's important, and then I can make fun of my myself for not paying attention.
0: So in general, it's HIV is an important of your overall physiological stress level, right? We yeah. have internal stressors, we have external stressors from our work, from our exercise, and we're trying to get an idea of what that level is. And we have, in our nervous system, we have an autonomic nervous system. And within there, we have Two separate components, uh, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So, the sympathetic is your flight and fright. That's going to rev your motor up. It's going to get your heart racing. And the parasympathetic is going to chill you out. It's going to slow yeah. everything down. In general, a higher parasympathetic, again in general, is going to mean that you're, you're he- healthier and you have a lower level of internal and external stressors. So, Based on the influence of your autonomic nervous system, your heartbeats are going to change. We think that if it's 60 beats a minute, that it's one beat per and that that spike or the R wave is equidistant, and it's not. No. There is a variation, and thus the variability of the heart rate. Yeah. And the autonomic nervous system control what that, what that variation is.
1: It is, yeah. And, and that's... <clears throat> That sounds like so straightforward, and yet (laughs) I, I think we've done ourselves a disservice with a lot of the metaphors we use when we talk about heart. Always, the heartbeat's just a metronomic or a resting heart rate. People have a misguided idea, and by people I mean me, obviously, about rates. And, and that's just completely wrongheaded. This this thing is like having a dude with a tom-tom in your chest doing some drugs, right? It's just up, down, up, down. It's all over the place. It reminds me of one of my favorite old music jugs was like, how did the band know the drummer was at the door? And it's because the, the knocking kept speeding up. It's, you just can't hold the rhythm. It's just going up, speeding up, slowing down, speeding up, slowing down. It, it's like that. And and far from being a bad thing, and this is the key insight that you just gave, I think, that's a good thing. And that's so counterintuitive to people, I think. And I think when some people, when you approach HRV, heart rate variability, the your natural instinct is to think, I want that low, right? Because if it's really right. high, that must mean, I don't know, there's something wrong, I'm going to have a heart attack or whatever. No, your instincts are completely wrong here. It needs, within reason, and this is always the case, within reason, higher is better.
0: Right. Maybe the parasympathetic nervous system, which is slowing it down, is a little sloppier. I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. <laughs> You're the mathematics person here in this conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah, right.
0: So I don't know why <laughs> yeah. it slows it down, but it does. And the same developer of the HRV for training app has a biofeedback app, and he's starting to publish some data yep. that if you strap on a heart rate monitor and do biofeedback training, which is just doing for a number of minutes a day, you can actually raise your a- HRV. Super so it's pretty fascinating.
1: It's, it's really fascinating, and. To answer your question, by the way, you just got me thinking as you said it. So at the <laughs> risk of thinking out loud, which really leads me to a good place, I have a theory about what you just said, which is like, here I go, Paul's playing amateur cardiologist. One of the reasons the nervous sympathetic nervous system struggles against the sympathetic nervous system is because the parasympathetic nervous system has a bounded problem. There's only a finite number of systems it needs to slow right? Mm. Blood pressure, heart rate, you know what I mean? It's dealing with a small, whereas there is an infinitely long list of things that can trigger this whacked out border collie sympathetic nervous system thing, where it just goes, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god something else is going on, right? So there's, it's, there's, there's, there's this huge list of things that can trigger the sympathetic nervous system, and so you, you have to pity the parasympathetic system, because it's like, oh, Christ, another thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like it's always being triggered this is my theory it's really funny <laughs> yeah so that's completely non-mathy but it, it, it appeals to me so I'm, I'm gonna go with it that this is partly what's going on but the key is not my ridiculous metaphors about what's going on but it's just idea that higher is better and it's super it, if, if you thought resting heart rate was idiosyncratic this is hmm. an idiosyncratic square. There's an absolutely no point. And you can see this. I saw Whoop had posted, one of these biometric trackers had posted... The, the median has two, within one or two standard deviations of the median for its users. And the range, by even by age, was monstrous, right? I mean, right. you could say at age 30, it's between this. Yeah, it's like between 30 and 70. <laughs> it's a giant number, right? So, so the point being that the only thing worth tracking is yourself.
0: Yes, you have to compare it to yourself each and every time and to your previous day and previous months, right? Right hope you know as we'll talk about this the i found hrv to be very useful in a long term as a short term say less so yeah Um, yeah, and it's just another data point for us just like your resting heart rate and it's interesting because if you look at so i wear a polar watch and and, or and then it feeds or feeds the data into the hrv for training app yeah so i don't have to wear a strap in the morning so but more weight on the resting heart rate, one gives more weight to the resting heart rate, so uh-huh. i 'll get different instructions uh-huh. from the different apps, so we haven 't figured this out yet because one no, th- might give <laughs> you something completely different as well yeah that's um, a really
1: good point i mean, and from a geek standpoint, the fun stuff about the fun thing about this stuff is it 's in huge flux in terms of. Not just should I run more or run less there's we're increasingly seeing that heart rate variability and some proxy derivative measures related to it are really interesting diagnostic measures of various forms of not just cardiovascular disease but of other systemic issues in the body and this is a really uh, quite a nascent area of research that's really taken off in I don't know the last five or six years in terms of both the f- creating and defending and then analyzing and exploring some of the things that are you can potentially parameterize around HRV, which makes me all excited.
0: It's really fascinating. I, I, I've, been, I've been measuring this for years, and so I have graphs that go back quite a while. And so my norm is well-established and not high. It's usually between, between 35 and 50, 35 and 70 at night. Yeah. And I do a vaccine. And it was below. Uh, yeah. The, right. know, the, a good fir- example. the first and second days. And it's a solid 10, 10 days or so to come right. back to normal.
1: Yeah. But that's a good example that your body wasn't responding to the normal ex- outside stimuli because it had something else. It's like, dude, I'm busy right now. Right. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, got, I got other stuff going on. Right. And it's <laughs> message. It was a clear message. Somebody's, the body is not in right now. Please call back later. <laughs> So if we segue into the last topic here, which is one of these measures that are related to HRV, and it can be traced back to some fabulous work done back in the mid '90s. I was reading a paper on on a lot of this stuff by C.K. Peng at Harvard oh. back. From 1994, of all things, where he, where in the key inside of his paper from 94, which is fabulous reading, and I can link to it if any other fellow geeks want to read it, was the notion that we have a really, or at least had at that time, a really misguided idea about what a healthy, what a healthy heartbeat is, and we've alluded to this a little bit already. That we think about it too much homeostasis terms. That actually, as of this. perpetual conflict between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, you're better to think of heart rate and specifically heart rate variability as a chaotic system, characteristics of chaos, like the weather, like other things, where it's, it's fractal in nature and it's, it exhibits characteristics like what mathematicians call self-similarity and so on. And this is a really, really important insight that it's not random motion and it's not predictable and yet it has patterns over time that can be extracted if you approach it as a as a as a system with some uh, of the characteristics of, of chaotic systems, and this was an incredible insight, I think, from 1994 to come up with this. And so, this has obviously influenced a bunch of different researchers working in this area, which brings us to today and the last measure we're going to talk about, which are new methods for looking at some of the patterns in heart rate variability to extract other parameters. And one of them, and again, this is this is you got me onto this, is uh, <laughs> detrended fluctuation analysis alpha. One, which sounds like it's possibly a ship on Star Trek, but it's not. It's DFA Alpha, that's DFA Alpha One idea. Do you want to take a shot at it and would care? And then we can talk a little bit about what that's all about.
0: So I have read many of the papers that you referenced, not Peng's original, but a lot of the work by Bruce Rogers and yep. others. Yep. And, oh my God. I mean, I have to stop and reread it <laughs> and look up words that I don't understand. I know. It can geez, take like I me a week say, Is, to it, get is there going to be a test? <laughs> but it was fascinating. And it was fascinating because, to me, as a non-mathematician, a physicist, because this enables me to use HRV, a barometer that I'm used years and can recognize the patterns to to fine-tune my aerobic efforts, right? This brings together everything that we've talked about in this podcast for a few months. Yeah. Uh, How important zone two heart rate is to our health, whether we're walking or jogging. But where that level is, we didn't know, right? I stabbed my earlobe and fingers for lactic acid to try and find it. And it's not easy to do. I'm not going to do a lab and embarrass myself. So we've had to guess. And that's where the Alpha 1 comes into play.
1: Yeah, it's a really, really intriguing insight. And I mean, without getting too deeply into the math, the idea that. Once you detrend, which hence this DFA, detrended fluctuation analysis, because the problem with heart rate variability data is that (laughs) it's it's wild, right? It's chaotic. It's all over the place. And once you detrend it and you start and you break it down into windows and then within those windows look at patterns of increasing and decreasing and then look across all those windows you can actually extract some really interesting parameters about how the and this is the key notion that we you were just talking about how the body responds to increasing or decreasing exercise intensity using this detrended fluctuation this detrended heart rate variability data as a proxy because the wacky thing about heartbeats and this as a geek makes me all excited is that there are these crazy (laughs) crossover moments where actually the rate of change starts to change. You get this second derivative changing slope thing going on. And that actually, and this is a 2021 paper by Rogers that you were referencing earlier it turns out that one of the key inflection points in this series actually corresponds to a, a really important parameter for exercise, which is roughly the top of zone two, which is usually called your your aerobic threshold, which, as you were saying earlier, usually requires all of this bananas invasive and annoying testing to get to a lot of this stuff. seems pretty likely we can extract this directly from looking at this, this DFA Alpha One index of heart rate variability data, which, as mathy and, and, and like, I don't want to know this as this sounds, because that was my reaction initially to this stuff. I was just completely wrong, completely wrong. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was being really childish about learning a new three letter acronym and said, no, I'm done for this year. It's, it's, I've seen some time in this data where there are patterns and inflections that directly cons- correspond to super important characteristics of how, how our bodies work. And that's, right. that's insanely interesting.
0: It's really fascinating. And I think we should add one more thing in for those who are listening, is the why this is important, and why from a metabolic perspective, right? So what we're talking about is the A one and the A one of zero point seven five is your aerobic threshold. Right, right, right. And so you can identify what your heart at that threshold. Metabolically, you right, your body wants to burn fat during when you're producing ATP or energy under a low load. And as you push your heart rate transitions to glycolysis, burning glucose. And eventually it goes to anaerobic Uh, glycolysis and now now you're producing pyruvate you're gonna get tired and bonk so where your maximal fat burning is um, exactly allows you to train train your ability to go further longer because we all basically have an infinite amount of fat if we want to go for a run
1: and further longer, and this this last piece is the one that I was really missing. Further longer without hurting yourself, right? Exactly. Because you're doing it at a much lower levels of intensity. You're oxidizing fat. I mean, and as you say, we've got, for practical purposes, a pretty in, a close, uh, countably infinite supply of fat to draw from. <laughs> and so this is really an important parameter to be a healthy person exercising healthily.
0: Right. That closes the loop on a lot of the things that we talk about, right? Because we're optimizing for longevity. We want to build our aerobic base. Yeah. To build our aerobic base, we want to know how far can we go, resting heart rate, HRV, how hard can I go, yeah. A1, why am I doing this to, to maximize my fat-burning capabilities and endurance? And it's going to be a, really a start right yeah. you're gonna have to walk some oh. but but pretty soon you get same work at a lower effort
1: yeah well we'll come back to that in another episode we can do the <laughs> Paul walks everywhere episode but yes that's i could i have my hand up i can speak from experience that that's exactly what happens but okay so we've done interesting and important heart related parameters that i think really life-changing in terms of exercise so i'm glad we did
0: well thanks howard great job thanks paul <laughs> This
1: podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. Content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. And we will not respond to requests for medical advice.